Ooh, it's been a while. It's been a while. Why has it been such a long, long while? Oh, so many reasons. I have been ill most recently. And then I was... Uh, my parents were in town, and a bunch of stuff was happening, and I was also writing on the MASH report and a couple of other shows, and the days that they would have you writing on, it are the same days that all the editing and recording would have to be done for this, and in fact the editing of much of this podcast was done in one of the dressing rooms of ITV Studios where the MASH report is filmed, even though it's a BBC show, I don't understand why, but I don't ask questions. Oh, Oh, God. <clears throat> Apologies for the delay. I assume I've lost all fans by now, but it doesn't matter to me because I've st <laughs> I've, had st I've just stopped checking the numbers that the podcast gets because I, I just... Uh, and uh, I, 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 I still haven't listened back to the fucking 36 hours of podcast I'm going to have to to do that supercut because new listeners are just... I, I can only assume that they're baffled by Marjorie. But then she never made much sense in the first place. Do you know what I mean? So at what point does it matter? <laughs> anyway, uh, this is a conversation between myself and uh, lovely pal and all-round script wizard Andrew Ellard, who is at Ellardent, as in Ellard and the word ardent, as in an ardent fan or lover. Uh, and he is a script wizard, an all-round cool dude. So do find him on Twitter and uh, enjoy the conversation. Um, uh, yes. And uh, if you want to see me do a work in progress at the Pleasance in Islington, I'm doing one on the 22nd, I think, or 23rd of February. And I have a Soho Theatre run of last year's Edinburgh show, the seventh best reviewed show of the Edinburgh Fringe uh, in April. I think it's 24th, 25th, 26th of April. So come check that out and I will see you in Soho, we can go to, do, to a basement club and watch some fisting or whatever it is that you can do there now. Uh, the victim thing at school is interesting. I had a, a, an interesting friendship at school where I had the, there was this guy and I was good friends with him. Um, and it was one of those weird things where we were two, we were like two of the smart kids. Mm -hmm. And we were very competitive in the same subjects. And, uh, well, he was more competitive because I was used to, there, there were a couple of girls who would always get higher marks than me or almost always in sort of English and history, like my preferred areas. Oh, right. And my dad always said, you're very fortunate. And I said, why? And he said, because the kind of people who are always like, they, they're going to develop an anxiety over that. Whereas you now have motivation to try harder, but also you've accepted that you're not always going to be the best in class, mm -hmm. but you can aim to be third, second. Whereas... And it was right because um, certainly when I ended up going to Cambridge, yeah. there was a certain type of person from a very small rural home counties kind of school. And they'd always been, you know, head girl, top of the class, whatever. And they just, their minds shattered <laughs> because now they were midstream at best. Right. And they were trying. Yeah. Nine yeah, yeah, hour yeah, days yeah, in the yeah, library. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, you're kind of fine now that you've done nine hours a oh. day. And they just couldn't, it, it took some of them years or dropping out or taking a year out just to cope with the fact because their whole life they had been a genius. Um, anyway, so this, me and this guy were very competitive, but he took it a lot more seriously. Like he had this idea that we would play each other in these chess tournaments that he would set up. And I sort of liked, I was competitive, but it wasn't the end of the world. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, but we would sort of alternately, because we were just talking about being a, a victim in high school. And I was a victim to an extent, but we would sort of alternately bully each other. Whereas 
I would fuck with him about things that I knew he was was fuck withable about. Yeah. But then also it was the it was like this resentment circle where the second he saw an opportunity to get one over on me, it would be like brutal, like shot in the face while climbing the ladder, <laughs> kind of like goodbye, Mark, and I like, like an incredible act of vengeance, and that would just keep happening left and right, left and right, left and right for years until we both got sick of it. And the, it's this kind of, even still now, I think, maybe there, a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I definitely think there's a thing of, like, because people, we are we seem to be either trained or, or built to recognise little chinks in the armour and little weaknesses yeah. and stresses and stuff. Yeah. And to aim for them. Yes. On on some kind of instinct. And I do think most of, matu- so much of maturing through your life is realizing not to not to fire that arrow, <laughs> yeah. not to aim there, or at the very least to save the arrow. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. Use it on a good. Yeah. You know, <laughs> wait until they've done something before yes. you. you know, That's it. There's a oh God. That stuff about being excellent and then not being. That was that happened really young to me though. That happened after primary oh, school. Oh shit. I okay. was the genius in primary school. Yeah. Like for some reason, I just had a knack for things. All and the so, sets. Oh, well, pre-sats. How old? I'm so much older than you are. <laughs> but pre whatever it was, I was the guy when when there was like the, everybody the, the, everybody sit quietly and figure out this maths problem. I was the guy who people would go, Andrew, come on, can you just come and help? And uh, I would yeah. s- sneak around to other tables and help them. And worse, I okay. would help them figure out how to do the problem, yeah. not just hand them the answer. <laughs> So I was teaching classes, kind so of. You were like uh, ten years old, kind and wise, which was marvelous. So, I, so I figured, well, this is brilliant. I've got it made, and there's a whole room of people here. There's like thirty people who all know that I'm smart enough to have around and like me and think that's good. Yes. And you go to secondary school, and number one, there's plenty smarter than you. It's yeah. not just you. This is really normal. Yeah. And also, none of these other people know that you're that guy yet, so when you have all the good answers, they hate you, because yeah. what are you doing bringing up all the answers this quick? And also, everybody started wanking. So oh, yeah, no, that's, other priorities coming. It's no longer about <laughs> academia until, what, like, 16? I nosedived. I loved the first six weeks of secondary school, and yeah. then hated it for five, four and a half years. Yeah. Because yeah. It, was, it was abominable. Those are the key years to hate it. Oh. If you want to... Kids, kids, if you want to work in the entertainment business... 12 to 16. Do, do your best. To, to be as miserable as hell during the time when it will hurt you most deeply and you will hold on to it the longest. Yes, and really develop an ability to overanalyze the behavior of your colleagues oh, yeah. and friends. Yeah. Because that will serve you well when creating characters or writing observational stand-up. Oh, God. Oh, God. And actually, I'm aware that it start, kind of strikes me now because I've got... Amongst the people who think I'm good, not everyone in the industry thinks I'm marvellous, but there's sure. a group of people who do. Yeah. And they are nice enough to tell me that they think I'm marvellous. So yes. I go into other rooms. The, I was the shyest kid, right? By the time I by the time I got out of university, I hated university as well. I loved yeah. my A primary school and A-levels and hated it. <laughs> so I alternated yeah, completely. Yeah. So actually, it turns out I like my job, which is the right one to end up that's, on. Yeah, that's the one that you'll spend the most time sitting with. Presumably I'm going to rent the, resent the hell out of my retirement and feel really victimised by never, it. Just never, never retire. retire. I'll just die. Yeah. So, <laughs> just die. <laughs> So I have this kind of, I have this confidence now that I didn't have when I started my work career. When I started my work career, I couldn't bring myself to phone agents and say, I, yeah. I had to do interviews. I was Red Dwarf website, right? Yes, I used to yeah. have to do interviews. And I had to I had to phone agents and I didn't phone, want to phone them. This was before everyone had email addresses. Yeah, yeah. 
some faxing agents going, hello, could you please talk to me for the Red Dwarf website? I'm nice. (laughs) And it would sort of slowly beep Beep. through the machine. (laughs) (laughs) We are not paying any money. Um... This this shy computer man this, would like to talk oh, to us, and then you and then I thank God I would turn up yeah. and I got better I got better partly by turning up to those interviews and doing them because yeah. eventually I'm interested in people so you yeah. start asking the questions and but, whatever but, and also but, people people well, feel quite good that you respect their career enough to ask about it yeah you know? but, and also you were sincerely respecting them and so that meant that you get that confidence from going I met that person I admire yeah and they got on with me. Oh, you know what? I still glow over Brian Cox, not the science one. Oh, yeah. Actor Brian Cox, the original and best Hannibal Lecter. Oh, from um, um, Manhunter. Manhunter, that's right, with the older Grissom from oh, CSI. Which is still, it's a cracking movie. It's, it's a, good a film. really good film. It's got so much lovely, bristly <clears throat> tension to it. And yeah, yeah. His, his final deduction as the music builds and stuff is one of the best things in movies. He's talking to the, the videotape as it's yes, happening. Yes, Didn't yes. you, you son of a bitch? You watched them the whole time. And you, that should be awful. Guy talking to himself in his hotel room. Yeah. Talking to a video, talking to the killer in his head. But it's gorgeously done anyway. So Brian Cox, I still glow. And he talked to me. He said, I don't usually talk about Lecter, but for this I will. And, ah, uh, anyway. Was so... It- I well I'm I'm still out I'm I'm Anthony Popkins. Oh yeah, no, just, that's just uh, not unreasonable. But then he was the first one I saw. Maybe you like your first lecture. <laughs> you know what though? You can't I, beat your first lecture. God, that actually might be true because I didn't see Lambs until way later. But I didn't like Lambs until Shut. well into my late twenties. Really? I always thought it, I, I, the tone of it just wasn't wasn't what I wanted. Uh. <clears throat> Something about the Michael Mann movie, just but I saw the Michael Mann movie on TV when I was like fourteen, and yeah. it was just like it, it hit me at the right time of like this is grown up. I'm watching grown up. That's things. right. But it is, isn't that one of the most dangerous? It's such a such a hard thing to keep an eye on yourself, like mm-hmm. self police your 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 instinctive reaction to things. Because the other day, I caught myself thinking that something new was was shit. Oh, unjustifiably. Right. And I went, oh no, it's just new. Just and a shortcut to that. Went, yeah. Oh, it's just new. <laughs> and I was like, that's not as good as thing from when I was discovering yeah. things. And I went, ah, wait. Wait a sec. Hang on. But the, there's nothing more frustrating than talking to someone who doesn't believe in that as a concept. Yeah. And they go, no, of all human history, <laughs> my bit when I was young yeah, was the, the best. The 80s, 90s period what a, of what stuff. A, what a coincidence. The best period of stuff. Fuck the harpsichord. <laughs> <laughs> Get that on a t shirt. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I so I grew, I grew all this conf, this confidence slowly and iteratively over the course of the thing, and yeah. eventually, and and now you know I'm good enough at my job. People tell me I'm good at my job, so I yes. go into some rooms really certain I'm going to be really useful to you today, and yeah. really confident. And nothing lays me lower than the days that go badly that way. Be- because I've assumed my greatness before it's been proven today. <laughs> And it's it's like it must be like a bad gig, right? Yeah. It must be like it must be like no, no. I'm certain that I'm good at this, and yeah. then the gig goes wrong for and no reason you have any oh. control over. Or but the the worst is a gig where it seems like a nice gig, and the rest of the bill are people you haven't gigged with. Oh. So it's like here they'd have no precedent. Yes, here's my chance to show them what I can do, and then you just shit yourself and die. Yeah, and you go oh good. <laughs> There's a few more like negative testimonies floating right, around. Right, who will forever be right? Yeah. For yes. The, for the listener, um, I should say, Andrew is is. Well, how would you? What's your description? Well, we call me script yourself? editor, but only yeah. because there's not a good 
term for it. The, the thing is, I, script I editor means like six different things depending on what show you're talking I'd about. I'd say that you are a creative fix-it man. Yes, that's nice. You're like you're like Mr. Wolf. On one of your early podcasts, you called me Script Wizard, and I kind of script stuck, wizard, I've yes. stuck with that. I think Script Wizard is good. You're yeah. like Mr. Wolf from Pulp Fiction. <laughs> if you have a bunch of dead, that's actually pretty close. Yeah. yeah, you have a bunch of dead scripts in your if house. You have, if you have some script corpses lying around, yeah, and you go, oh, shit. <laughs> and then you turn up with a sort of tuxedo on incongruously in the day. I want you to. I want you to be able to get away with the script murder you have just committed, <laughs> That's right. yes. and drive off in a fresh script car. No one will blame you. Yeah. for the script you've done. Yeah. <laughs> and actually, if you want to hear examples of of people talking to Andrew about the how and why he's so good at what he does, there's lots of other podcasts where you are a guest. Oh yeah, no, I I haven't got the stamina to do anything of my own, so I just moonlight well, wander into other people's microphones and. Well, that's the right way to do it, well, to be honest. Certainly the laziest. That's the same thing, the right way, the laziest way. No, no, the shortest distance between two points. You're That's quite right. right. Yeah, like water. Yeah. Path of least resistance. Yeah, yeah. Path just flow. Totally. Um, yes, and so, and uh, uh, that's the thing, is, is when you walk into a room and you are someone who is allegedly good at their job, yeah. and you've based part of your self-image on it, mm-hmm. and then it is defied. Oh. <laughs> the universe oh, says, you God. are not good today. Yeah. Today you are bad. Always, re- and you sometimes you don't. You get, did that day go all right, or did that you know? And the ones with the, where you go, well, they never called again. They yeah, never asked yeah. for your advice again. I I hate. Um, I did a gig the other day in front of some people who I'm friends with, but who never see me do stand up. Uh-huh. They, they'll see me do a gig. Genuinely, the rate now is once every three years. And so it was the, a few months ago, and it was three years since the last time they saw me do stand up, and I did fine. <laughs> and that was way worse than doing badly because oh. doing badly they could go I know enough about you to know this is an aberration right. but fine is plausible that's that's as good as you are then I fine guess fine might be what you've been doing this whole time Absolutely. whereas the worst I've ever died mm. um, was in front of people who I'd never gigged with before Yeah. and it was, um, it was at this gig and it was in this big warehouse on a waterfront and I looked at the website of the, of the venue to check it out and it was all full of pictures of indie bands and kids and whatever and I thought great maybe I could even do like references from my own generation even if that's the kind of crowd they're saying (laughs) that's going to be a joy I turned up and it was fucking wall to wall nanas and like uh there's a certain type of... Uh, uh, you, you don't have great nano material. I have terrible nano material. Some, like, something referencing the, the 50s. It was like powdered eggs. Oh. <laughs> Nothing. Remember powdered eggs? Do you remember them? And they'd go... That, you, there do. must be a find-replace version of a, of, a, of, a routine. A, of a routine that you can just drop into whatever particular well, Peter maybe, K version of... Maybe. maybe. What, like a sort of South African version of garlic bread? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Peri-peri bread. There you go. Something like that. Racial tension bread. <laughs> See, this is me. I'm basically doing script fixes for you yeah, now. Yeah, I'm exactly. like, there you go. Look, just let's talk See, about yeah. the audience. Are you walking? just drop it in? Just yeah. drop it in. And also, the the so there's a few nanas yeah. and loads of the people who hate what I do the most consistently, which is heavy set middle aged regional football fans. Oh, ooh, yeah. So they're sort of heavy set and they watch with their arms folded, partially because they're skeptical, partially because that's the best way for their arms to fit on their body shape. Yeah. And they've got a shirt that buttons all the way up, but it's sleeved, <laughs> and it's pink, and they have a shaved head, and they're very red, <laughs> and they fucking hate everything I say. <laughs> and I died so hard, and this is in a big, big room, right? and 200 people, maybe 300, but in that range. Mm-hmm. 
And you know when they always have, like, now to stop you asking for pints of water at the bar, they just leave it all out. Oh, right. Jugs, no, right? I didn't know that. I don't go out. Well, well, not, well, not everywhere, but a lot of places. Right. We hate having to do that for you, so we've just laid out a bunch of yeah, yeah, stuff. Yeah. Pour it yourself. And they have that at the back of the room. I could hear the ice clinking. <laughs> <laughs> that's how silent oh, it was. Oh, that's perfect. I could hear, like, clink, 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 and someone oh. slowly poured them. That's a great detail, though. That's... <laughs> No, not even, like, bad enough that they were slowly pouring themselves water while I was <laughs> trying to be very engaging. But also, this clink, clink. And that's like a, that was like a good 20, 30 meters. Oh. Like a long way away to hear a noise like that. Mm. A very quick improvised TV guide. Let's see what's on TV. On BBC One, there's In the Same Vein as Escape to the Country and Get Away for Winter, there's Fuck Off to the Moon. How many middle class couples who are sick of living somewhere that's perfectly fine want to fuck off to the moon? Uh, BBC Two, there's the live Winter Olympics. Uh, obviously, a lot of the Winter Olympic sports are not very tense, but they're a lot more tense with the overhanging threat of uh, mass thermonuclear war. That really uh, turns curling into something pretty tense. Uh, on ITV is a new crime drama called Hmm, where an old lady goes around asking questions about crimes uh, interspersed with Hmm every three Hmm seconds. Hmm. And uh, on Channel 4 is a, a Place on the Moon, which is a pretty blatant guys. Come on. Uh, and uh, on uh, Channel 5 is uh, NCIS Alaska. Uh, someone has stolen all the walruses, and only Sarah Palin can figure out who did it, guest-starring everyone from every other NCIS in tedious crossover episodes that seem to go on for a million billion years. Um, and over on uh, 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 Discovery is another piece of uh, semi-anti-Semitic, uh, semi, uh, 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 kind of vaguely, like, leads you down that kind of path, like, it's not really history, uh, but it's masquerading as history, and it's sort of, it's a kind of, they're not teaching you to think that uh, lizards who are all Jews run the world, but they're starting you off on the path with lighter fare, like pyramids, aliens, uh, for example, or Rothschild, blah, blah, blah. But the point is that eventually they're trying to turn everyone into David Icke. Uh, that's the real, that's my conspiracy theory, is that David Icke is the lizard, and you become a lizard by listening to enough of his horseshit. Uh, that is the TV guide for this week, month, or God knows. Enjoy. We we did talk socially often about sci-fi. Yes. And we enjoy being pedants. Oh, definitely. About films. Definitely. Um, and well, you've 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 got a serious presence in terms of your analysis. Things you do, Andrew Ellard's tweet notes. The tweet notes, which have. Um, Garnered you much dozens of interest. Yeah. Do, do, well, from, but that's the thing is that your, your tweet notes are like um, the Velvet Underground vinyl, where it's like <laughs> only a thousand people wow. bought the bought the Velvet Underground, but every one of them started a band. Oh, it's very flattering. Well, oh like, my God! But what I a way to describe that, something. The people I've seen tweet about your tweet notes. It's like Graham Linnan. No, that's true. It's it's it definitely the Hollywood people. Like this guy, this guy's on the money. <laughs> as they, as they you know, twang their braces. Oh God! I, it was Sam Bain. Sam Bain sent That's me right, a, Bain. sent me a message once saying, "God, those Marvel guys should just hire you." And I was like, "I don't know how I make that happen. How does that yeah. happen? Should I take this seriously as a suggestion? This is the creator of some of the best comedy of the last yeah. twenty years. What's amazing? Oh my God! So, but 
in terms of traction, it, it's it's small. It's it's yeah. narrow casting. It doesn't. They never yeah. go really wide because it's too it's too much thinking. But it's industry as well because yeah. that's that's like you know if if you're like um, I remember being told about this guy uh, who's like the best action shot camera guy, mm-hmm. and he's the guy who did all the running up and down the beach shots on Private Ryan, right, and stuff, and he's just the guy. Yeah, yeah. And he's been the guy for like thirty years. He doesn't need big traction. He just needs this, you know, yeah, no, no, the seventeen Oscar-winning directors. That's that... true. Well, it's, it's. I mean, it's kind of what Richard Herring does with with. I have a fixed fan base, and as long as they keep sending money to do, I keep getting yeah. to do the things I want to do. That's it. Except that none of this is making. People keep saying I should try. I should do a Patreon or something just to just to make the tweet notes pay for themselves. But yeah. actually, well, you could just say if you give me twenty quid, I'll do yeah. tweet notes on whatever film or, or like an amount of money. Yeah, yeah. Because people would bid just to make you do them on Fast and oh, Furious. Oh, that's true. That's true. Actually, you could get really niche about it. I would bid. Oh, really? Of course. Just to make you watch Fast and Furious 5. I love Fast and Furious. And do like a full analysis. Now, I, wrote, I already did an analysis of films 1 to 4 years ago, and it's still on the internet. So you can go and find that, because I have a whole philosophy about how like you organize the structure of cars car battles and yeah. stuff in those things and how you do it right and how you do it well, wrong see, there you go and whether because binary for example binary races are really dull one car yes. against another car well one car wins mm. like there's very few ways to make that race interesting yeah so you have to find other ways so they, they come up with like Fast and Furious 2 has a thing where it's a tag team so it's two lots two cars right. and you have to turn at the back at the end of the course so it's a straight line but yeah. there's a turn so there's a whole thing about how you make the turn and who gets to the turn for you have to find yeah. it's the it's what I call the Rocky problem because if you're making Rocky sequels, yes, it's just who he's does just he gonna, fight now. I'm going to hit that man until he falls over. <laughs> End of film. <laughs> How do you make? And actually, Sylvester Stallone for he's a much better screenwriter than he's often given. He's an Oscar-winning screenwriter, yeah. but he's better than people give him credit for. And one of the things he solves over and over again is how the hell do you make Rocky films interesting when it's yeah. just a guy says he's going to hit Rocky a lot. Rocky says I'd like to hit you more, yeah. and Rocky does. And we watch him get ready for that. The solution to the first Rocky movie of not winning the fight is yeah. one of the smartest, as long as I can keep standing. The only problem with that bloody movie is, as long as I can just make it to the end of the fight, I'll be okay. Is he says it right before the fight. Yeah, yeah. That line needs to be half a film back. It needs to be in the middle of the movie, where by the time you get to the fight, you've kind of forgotten he said it yeah. until he does it. And then you go, oh, that's enough! Yeah. And also, as he's doing it, you, if you want to be really tedious, you do it as an echo... Oh yeah, audio, yeah, audio, yeah audio. absolutely. Half remember. That's the trick with exposition: yeah, is to yeah. get people to forget it until you want them to remember yeah. it, and then rem- they remember it without you reminding them. Yeah. And that's the tr- that's precision. It's it's one of the things Stephen Moffat's actually really good at because he writes sitcoms and jokes don't work if you haven't placed your exposition in the right place. Right, okay. So he, he his big time travelly stuff is less confusing than it really ought to be just because of that exposition. Because he's it. learned that structure. But. But see, I would bid to have you... Like, have you ever seen Troll 2? No. It's incredible. No. Do, you, do you know about it? The Troll... I know the, tro- the Troll films exist. This is the well, beginning, see, middle, and so end there, of my... There are the Troll films mm-hmm. in America. But Troll 2 is like The Room. Oh, okay. So Troll 2. Here are two things about Troll 2 that will give you an idea of what we're dealing with. All right. It's called Troll 2. There is no Troll 1. <laughs> oh, what? It was, it was called Troll 2... Because there was that film Troll, yeah. and they thought it would help the film sell. Oh, so it's that okay? So that's so it's it's not actually a sequel uh, at all. It's no. just using the Troll name to make its own film. Absolutely. Okay. Second thing about Troll Two, there are no trolls. Oh. 
there are goblins. <laughs> there are a fucking load of goblins. <laughs> Trolls are never mentioned, and much is made of oh, the word goblin. God. Uh, also, the, wow. whole, the whole script was written in Italian first. Oh, yes. By the director's wife, who's also Italian, and the director's Italian, and they're from Italy. And it was translated relatively <laughs> poorly into English. And they, you can tell, this is my theory, that the director was insisting on their way that the... They filmed it in Utah. Right. And the whole cast is just villagers from this tiny village they were filming in. So there's no professional actors involved, like maybe one or two. But the... Um, the director, like, they all speak like, but that is crazy. And oh, it's like, you yes. can tell that the director was like, no, no, not that. That <laughs> is. And it's like, you're Italian. That's oh, not how we talk. Cleave very close it's to so the funny. written word. But I'd love to see you sit and take that apart because there's whole elements of that. It has that classic thing of like an entire storyline that just stops and goes away. Yeah. And is never even dealt with. Well, if only because one of my, one of my big things with the, with the tweet, and as I say, it's, it's God, it's not it's not interesting to everybody. You see people yeah. on Twitter complaining about like, oh, people have started another thread. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's, come on, it's part of the... Really, that's your issue with... Of all the things to be angry about, six <laughs> tweets are joined together to make a point. <laughs> on Twitter, Slightly yeah. more substantially than it would otherwise have been possible to make it. I think we're okay with that. Yeah. But not everybody is. But my, my approach has always been, look, the person who made this tried to make something good. Yeah. If it didn't work, let's but let's assume from a just from a point from a point of view of generosity, if nothing else, let's assume basically good motive. Yes. But also, there's a thing people love to blame the process. People yeah. love to to talk about how oh well, you see, because of the reshoots, the film was terrible because of the reshoots. Okay. And you go, no, no, the the reshoots were an indication that a problem needs to be fixed. But that's also what a rewrite is for. That's also what a second take yeah. is for. The reshoots were happening as a result of. Uh, earlier issues yeah, yeah or, or analysis and it means that someone has analysed the film and has tried to make it better it's a, it's a people talk about like oh they made this one for the money like the Bond I read a piece on the Bond movies the other day that was really angry oh look at them they just rest what they do is they make one good film when the new actor is introduced uh -huh. and then they make subsequently lesser and lesser films as they just kind of go yeah we'll just crank out the same old shit I guarantee you nobody is sat in any office anywhere yeah. saying well we can just sort of crank this one out can't we but also no one's saying like Hey, um, we've picked you to to contribute to the legacy of one of the greatest franchises in film history. Yeah. Uh, would you like to crank out some old shit? Yeah. <laughs> and also, we'll be still be paying you ten, $10 million dollars. They do. They've been <laughs> they've been through all sorts of processes on those bonds. There's great huge talk about I, when they did. I will say that the woman who wrote Troll Two, oh. her own admission, wrote it uh, to slander vegetarians. Oh. Because <laughs> too many of her friends are becoming vegetarians <laughs> and she funny. thinks that they're evil. But you know what? There you go. Then all of a sudden you've got a way to read the movie that's interesting. Which yeah. in itself is kind of... Because God knows that people's politics... You can't make an apolitical film. There's no such no. thing. I had a huge argument with someone the other day who thought that inaction was not a moral or political standpoint. Right. Oh, well, there you go. Right. They, they were like of the opinion that, but if I don't do anything, no. even though I know no, something's no, no, no. going on, then I'm, then that's I'm not in the right. game. It's all a choice. Yeah. There's fans are very angry with Last Jedi because how dare it imply anything political whatsoever? And yes, it's like it's yeah. the space fascist story. Yeah. Where it's you're a bit late to the game if you think it's not got politics in it now. Yeah. Do you remember how there was that really bad massive planet genocide in <sighs> like the first? Or Starts second? with. A, oh my! <laughs> it's like the first thing they do is blow up a planet of people and also like it's not even like um oh you've ruined the interpretation like i thought that the uh psychic choking genocide wizard 
dressed in black and with an evil voice, was one of the, you know, a complex... <laughs> I didn't know if he... Maybe he's not the maybe. bad guy. <laughs> you go, he's quite clearly... You can't, you can't... Ultimately, you can't blame the processes on movies. You can't yeah. look at a bad movie. I mean, people involved with it, obviously, can say, look, we didn't have the money for that shot and all yeah. that kind of stuff. But from you, from the outside, the job is to... Every film is beset. Every TV show, every piece of creative art is beset by the problems. When you do a, a, a gig, sometimes the, the line might not come. Yeah. Well, that's not a failure of, of anything other than sometimes the brain does that. Like, you can't attribute yeah, yeah. that to, well, you didn't prep hard enough. Yeah. Well, no, there's no... There's some... Any creative... I said that Al Murray and I talked about this on Twitter very briefly, which, yeah. which is basically the thing that gets you to a crap joke yeah. is exactly the same process that gets you to a good one, <laughs> yes. is you sit and think of jokes. Yeah. That's the same for story beats. That you obviously try to get to a good idea, and if it doesn't land when you give it a, a shot, obviously you either fix it or you oh, ditch yeah. it. But you have to try it first. And well, and and also, I hate it when people nitpick about things that um, their complaint essentially boils down to the thing I found implausible about this. I found it implausible because of my own personal philosophical beliefs. Yes. So it's not something to do with the character. They go. I don't think it's reasonable to sacrifice that for this. Yeah. Or, oh no, but I think that actually that flavor of sacrifice is bad. And you go, you're. Uh, we were talking about this before. You're not supposed to like everything that a character does yeah. because you're not eleven. Yes. That's not. <laughs> yeah, they aren't. Yeah. You're, you're not reading. It's, Buck Rogers swings across the canyon bravely. It's, it's not. Character, yeah, characters on screen are not supposed to boil down to you and people you don't like, and you can define which one of those they are yes. nice and early, so that then the hero must have all of your moral positions. And of course, Francis Larue has been brying for many years here. We see him with his tongs. Trusty tongs he's been cooking on the brow with since 1993, coming to the end of his career maybe, but such incredible peaks early on, and we see him here, he's got some lovely lamb chops on there, on the grill, and he's having a dope, and he's talking to his colleague there, they're talking about the local sports team, how they're faring, but... If you keep an eye on it, he's not looking, but one of the chops is about to burn on one side. He's got the other side still pink. He's covered it in seasoning. That's all totally protocol, but what's he going to do? Is it going to go now? He's got fat dripping in there. The flames are coming up. It's going to burn, and he's flipped it. He's flipped it. The boy's still got skill left in him left. He's got life in him. Oh, my word. You don't see Brian like that at the lower leagues anymore. And there's a point where the mass consensus gets in the way. Like, if you try to present something as, as blatantly, you know, not what it is. I find myself weirdly reluctant, this Hugh Jackman musical about P.T. Barnum, because it's presenting him as such a, a showman hero with such lofty dreams and ambitions. I've never wanted to watch anything less in my life. Well, the thing is, I love a, I love a musical, and I really like Hugh Jackman, but... Barnum's famous for like a very particular approach to how he got money out of people yeah. and who he used to do that. Everyone's a fucking idiot. Right. Is essentially, it's his essentially quote. Is his philosophy. <laughs> so the idea that that you can present him as like, oh, he's a guy with a dream. Yeah. What the hell? Take on one day, I'll find enough disabled people 
that I can make them live in a, a wagon and drag it around the world. And particularly to have this movie coming from the people who, I'm not a huge fan of La La Land, but La La Land at least had, it was kind of like, yeah, relationships aren't like they are in musicals, are they? Yeah. They're way fucking harder. Yeah. At least there was like an approach to darkness and complexity there, and this is like, well, but what if there was no darkness and complexity? <laughs> now, I'm, the, the question becomes: Have enough people of the age who are going to pay for a cinema ticket yeah. even heard of Barnum at this point? And that's where the line will be drawn as to whether this film yeah. is fair, is good enough or not. Because you can have like doctors I, complain all the time that medical stuff is not represented well in movies. Yes. Lawyers complain. Teachers, teachers are weirdly. My parents are teachers. One of my parents is a teacher. My sister's a teacher. So it might be that I've heard this a lot anyway. Yeah. But you do hear a lot of teachers. They write to periodicals and say, "I actually, the schools are nothing like the way that teachers don't have the kind of spare time to be off having drinks and out yeah. and lovely drugs." Yeah, yeah, yeah. And whatever they they. They feel like the profession, the the profession needs protecting in fiction. Yes, but that's not a problem for anyone else. It's only a problem for people who do the job, watching the job. Yes, no one minds. No one minds. But if enough of us all agree that that's not what that thing is, yeah. then it's a problem. Then your film doesn't have the traction. If 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 yeah, if you're doing something where even a layman yeah could just be like, well, no, that can't be true. You can't. You cannot make Vietnam like World War Two. It yeah. doesn't make sense. Nobody thinks it was like that. Yeah, and everyone's sort of ironing their shirts in the jungle <laughs> and stuff. And- Crisp boots. Well, also, I mean, to be fair, you and I are speaking from a, a period of time where <clears throat> too many good Vietnam movies have been made. That's true. That have weighed so much flavour and tone. Yeah. Um, once you've seen Platoon and Apocalypse Now and whatever, you can't yeah. you can't really go back to anything like that style. And, and Full Metal Jacket. And, yeah. Yeah. Once once Kubrick's had his hands on something. Yeah. It changes the genre. It really or, does. Or subgenre. But that's um. That's the thing, is, is the P.T. Barnum thing, I think, given the trailer that they put in cinemas, yeah. um, it's such an in-your-face yeah. fucking trailer that I think anyone who watches that, who the kind of person who watches that and goes, oh, is the kind of person who statistically must have heard of P.T. Barnum. Right, if, yes. If that's the kind of thing they like to the point where they'd willingly go and see it. I think that's true. I think I, well, that's, maybe like, yeah, well, yeah, like yeah. 80%. No, 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 because I, I did go, ooh, and I have. And, mm. the, and so weirdly, there's now a feedback loop of, well, and because I went, ooh, but then I realised it was the Barnum movie, and uh. now I don't want to see it because I know, because I'm the kind of... Per- um, yeah, so there you so go. So there's this weird, yeah, exactly. But when I do the notes... Yes. Oh, when yes. I do the notes, you go in assuming good on everybody's part and yeah. that, me- that means I don't do the thing of that you see everybody doing but Kermode does it is, is delighting in hating something yes. can I find more funny catchphrases about how shit this thing is yeah. so that everyone can quote tweet quote tweet my, my complaint about it and, and recite my dislike in ways like a sort of what's that Charlie Brooker column where he doesn't he hasn't really done them for oh, years yeah. but back when he used to do those columns where well, funny, he was talking on, on the, the was it Desert Island Discs about how much of a persona that is and yes. how far over the line it is to make the point. Yeah. And, you go, and, and you, I think there's a, there is an understanding there that actually... All right, so that isn't really debate anymore. Yeah. That's, that's, that's become theatre, that's become entertainment. And that's fine in its own sense, yeah. but it shouldn't be confused no. with analysis. Watch The Angry Men. Yeah. Yeah, that's what it's turned into, a different show. Yeah. Um, but you, but as you say, you go on these tweet notes with good, good faith, which makes you know Transformers Four really hard to talk about. <laughs> um, and God alive! But there, the, like there is, 
I, I said this on Twitter the other day, but Mark Wahlberg has has basically he's in he's in the press at the moment for for taking a million and a half dollars for the reshoots, for, for the reshoots because otherwise it could basically his agent said or oh, we can put the movie out with Kevin Spacey and we don't care which gives you <laughs> some kind of idea of how willing they were to yeah that's like well you should I think probably you should you should be caring about your movie a bit so he's in the press for this stuff but while talking about that one of the things because he ha- he's he's making now very jingoistic aren't the military great kind of movies and yeah and and as a person who comes across as a bumhole yeah quite often <laughs> that's that's reasonable <laughs> uh, that's a reasonable description but he has decried for example doing boogie nights like as as like oh it's about pornography like like the grossness of it and mm. Burt Reynolds did the same thing but he did it like even before the movie came out yeah now the thing is. Burt Reynolds is really good in that movie. Yeah. And actually, actually him not knowing that it's good probably yeah. helps him be better in the movie because there's a thing about like how sleazy he, that character is and how... Because r- real sleaze is when you know what you're doing is wrong. Yeah. Otherwise, you're just like a dog. And a dog isn't sleazy. A dog is a dog. Yeah, yeah. And that, that, yeah, you're probably right. That's the depth. Right? And I, th- I think Wahlberg's the same thing because there's a there's a naivety to Dirk Diggler of of like this is my big break, and it's yeah. like, but if the actor thinks it's his big break too, perfect, but, and hasn't really thought about the consequences of the work he's doing, well, that's basically what the movie is. Like he, he his journey is very similar. Yeah, it functions exactly right. So probably it helps, but nonetheless, so he's kind of decried the movie, and all I could think was. You have decried Boogie Nights, which is a really insightful conversation about not only the industry it's talking about, but also about the nature of people and how they make how they make and live with choices yeah. and how they reconcile with certain truths about the things they have to do or feel they have to do. Yeah. It's a really smart, intelligent, substantial movie. And he's happy to continue to go to bat for Transformers 4, which is one of the most morally contemptible films you can ever see with its... It's a PG-13 movie, 12A movie. It's yeah. for kids. Yeah. The statutory rape jokes probably shouldn't be in there. Yeah. Someone someone maybe take those out. It's there's a there's a thing where at one point <laughs> like, the script wizard. They they find a they find a spaceship uh because yeah. obviously there's a spaceship and they the good transformers go on it and it's got like squiggly alien things in cages and it's like oh, oh they've okay. traveled all over the galaxy and collected different specimens of things and right. one of them's got squiggles and teeth and tentacles and it reaches out of the cage and the heroic Autobot shoots it and it bursts. Oh, Jesus Christ. And he says, what? Was, I, I can't remember what the line is, but something like, what? It was ugly, or it looked at me weird, or something. He was trying to get me. And it was like, so, hang on, these are the good guys. And it's not like they're trying to present this as like a moment of moral complexity. Also, like the alien was saying the equivalent of, please, get me out of this cage. Tell my wife where I am. Right. <laughs> Shut in the face. You think about the future armour equivalent of that moment, where Fry would have been freaked out and everyone else would have said, what's the big deal? It's yeah. just a guy trying to get home to his family. Yeah. But they all, these are robots. These are talking robots that are hated by society. The supposed metaphor is... Don't just judge things because they're different. Insert coin, receive fun noise. Well, okay. What? Ho 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 ho. That was a fun one. Uh, give me another. I'm. <laughs> Ho 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 
I like this machine very much. I'll take it. An excellent choice, sir. That'll be three pounds. Thank you. So I was discussing again the, the other day. So the two films that we like to complain about. Oh, yeah, please. Is Infinity War. No, uh, Justice League. Um, Justice League. It's just called Justice, Justice League. League. It doesn't yeah. even have a subtitle. It doesn't even have the subtitle. Because it's supposed to be two films, wasn't it? Well, there was. it was going to be Justice League 1 and 2. And then I guess, thankfully, somebody said, you know what, well, maybe we'll just see if people like one of these before we go any further. Apparently, he, the, the guy got it down to like 1 hour 50. And right. the studio said one twenty, like two hours or less. No, no, no. It's 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 it was that it was blatantly going to be two and a half hours, like uh, all of them are. And the studio said, no, no, two hours or less, two hours or less. Uh, I, we are not having any more because they are, apart from anything else, like Batman versus Superman, bores the ass off of people. It's so yeah. long to make very simple points. Very simple points, and also like. It's never really explained how two of the most powerful, smartest people ever are so easily tricked. You know what? This is what it's so clear to me why there there is a group of that, and it's not even DC fanboys. It's Zack Snyder type loving yeah. DC fanboy. It's a it's a niche of a niche. Yeah, and it's unfortunate because people say oh, I don't like the Zack Snyder movies, and all the Zack Snyder DC fans go ah and think that you hate whatever it is. Yeah. But then it's that infection spreads to the other DC people. Like, look at what they're saying about your films, the yeah. DC films. No, nobody was talking about all of it them. Becomes tribalism. But it becomes tribal. Anyway, to see them standing outside protesting, demanding the Snyder cut. Oh my god! <laughs> but the thing about Batman v Superman is, it's an internet troll pisses off two people and then watches them fight. Yeah. That like the metaphor for that is so straightforward. Yeah. Lex Luthor functions as just that guy who says, wouldn't it be fun to watch these guys fight? I think it'd be fun to watch these guys fight. And then they don't, they, they make him like, they try to give him a reason for it. Yeah. And that's pointless. Because then, you know, it's, 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 yeah. Oh, but, no. I mean, they, so, but I mean, uh, Justice League, <laughs> I don't like, I, I have to admit, I'm not a, all, there's almost no version of Superman that I enjoy because it's just like, right. Who would win? Someone almost as powerful as God or God. And you yeah. go, well, God's going to win. Because yeah. he could do anything. Like, he could do everything Aquaman can do and also all the Superman stuff. He can do everything so-and-so can do plus his own stuff. Yeah. He's just like this umbrella term. Oh, and absolutely there is a problem with Justice League of... God, if Superman were here, he would just solve the whole problem. Yeah. Well, we found our ending. Yeah. Well, that means the rest of the Justice League are irre- irrelevant. Shh, don't, yeah. don't sure. mention that. Especially not around emo robot guy <laughs> who's who's like sad that he's a robot now see i even though his dad discovered him as a head oh. after like an accident and it's like look we're not saying you should be pleased <laughs> that you're inside a super alien robot but also you do you want to be a dead head i don't know i i i'll be <laughs> honest i'm not completely down on justice league it's not a it's not a good movie it's not in any way good, but it is it is infinitely more entertaining than the film that came before it yeah, that's true. By being funnier and shorter. Like, those are two things you yes. can do to make a film better. The the Amazons were weird, because it was like... They're like these super people. But they're <laughs> sort of like, we're going to stick with kind of late Bronze Age technology. Yeah. And you go, well, but, but they, why? I, <laughs> you I, have so I, many options. I have to say, I'm not com- particularly conversant in Wonder Woman, but she ends up with like an invisible jet... Yeah, at some point that has to come into So, did, is that from her people, or is that... In which case, they... 
they have jets and stuff. Yeah. Or sort of, oh, we know this like powerful demon guy is going to come for this magic cube for no reason. Let's oh, he wants this. to terraform Earth. It's be fair; he has a whole plan. He wants to ter- He wants to turn Earth into a lava world. Yeah, and that's and then full stop. Yeah. I don't know what after that. Then he jerks off on it. <laughs> <I'm> not, <laughs> I can only get a boner when there's a world made of lava. That would have made more sense yeah. to me because then I could have gone. That's selfish and weird enough that at least I can. Uh, the thing is, like the plot of Avengers is just let's open a portal and let all the people, all the aliens, turn up and kill everything on Earth. And you can't okay to own Earth for reasons. Yeah, it doesn't matter because that's just plot, and plot is what it is. But <laughs> but story is the thing that matters. And if you can do the story of five people who don't belong together coming together, yeah. good for you. Yeah. That's good. There's a fundamental problem here, which is that Zack Snyder doesn't believe that group effort has any value. Yes. His movies are about how groups fail. 300 is the story uh, of a group who try really hard, but ultimately don't actually manage it. Yes. If and- you look at Watchmen, which is... Watchmen the comic is genuinely sad about the idea that the, the Minutemen, that the, the, the original group doesn't function, that yeah. they, it disbands. And it's like, God, if only they could have cohered. Yeah. But the nature of people is so difficult. Whereas Zack Snyder's take on the world is, thank goodness they failed so that everyone could go off and be awesome separately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And all of his movies, to a lesser, greater or lesser extent, seem to encapsulate this. And when you find out that actually he wants to do and Rand adaptations, everything starts to make quite a lot of sense. Uh-huh. And that's... But and even three hundred, you could say, it's about the the will of the individual king of Sparta succeeding, yep. and all the other Greeks flee. Mm-hmm. So it's that if, maybe that's the team. It, it yeah, works either way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they succeed in the sense that they delay Xerxes and whatever. Um, but the rest of the Greeks flee. Their allies, the Athenians or whoever they're supposed to be. Yeah. Thrace, Thracians? I don't know. But also, you get you know the. The way we understand victory in movies yeah. is very particular. If all of your the people you like get wiped out, that's a loss. Yeah, that's that's failure. It's with something like Justice League, oh. you just go, okay, Grumpy Waterman, <laughs> old Batman, like like Batman's turned fifty and he's not pleased with this kind of like they've made Alfred now more like a, a sort of an. Someone who was in the SAS in the Gulf of Aden conflict and is now a consultant. Well, right. (laughs) You know what? We've got to... Because it's the same thing. You enjoy making fun of it. And I now feel honour-bound to defend defend it when I don't think it's very good. But actually, Alfred was was always meant to have combat training. Yes, of course. That was always built in. But I I liked it when he had combat training but was sort of like, well, I'll still wear a tie. Yeah. Whereas now he's like, he's wearing his old service jumper and stuff. There is definitely a thing with the, with the, those DC movies where they've gone, yeah, but what if we had a take on the character? And it's, it's like, okay, but maybe the take on the character is that the character's the character. Maybe Maybe that (laughs) is okay. Maybe there's already a take. Because there's, Superman is a problem. Like narratively, Superman is a huge problem because the stakes are preposterously hard to make work because yeah. he's so powerful. So you make the stakes something else. You yeah. make it about, and that's why when the Donner movies get it right, it's uh, is yeah. he allowed to pick love or is he going to have to keep being Superman? Like those yes. are the good questions. Or, or yeah, or at the very least, some, I would I would love to see something like Superman has some fundamental element because his all his morality is is rural Kansas morality. Yeah. So you go, fundamentally, 
even from a first, like a fresher doing philosophy, there's a lot of holes in yeah. what people from rural Kansas would imagine and is there, there's, morally see, solid. That, I think there's interesting ways to explore it. Someone will now be shouting at the thing, going, well, there's actually 15 comics that yeah. really extensively look at this. Well, and, but, and Red Sun, where he oh, yeah, grew up which in is, the USSR. And, but, it, like, Justice League, the one of the things... Like, their Superman isn't very good, no. right? But in this movie, sometimes he was Superman. Yeah. And actually, that's the stuff that delighted people, was yeah. when he turns up and he's confident and nice about it. Yes. And it was... A, an, and trying to help. In a, <laughs> it was also, from my point of view, genuine relief, because it meant that it was going to be over soon. Oh, sure. <laughs> no, like, he's literally the... You're literally desperate, just going, please punch the skull guy. Yeah. Just so that he could be dead and we can get on with this. Simultaneously, the best and worst decision in that movie is opening with a kid interviewing Superman on his cell phone. Yeah. Because what's really good about that is that it sets up straight away. Just so you know, we know in the previous movies he didn't seem very Superman-ish. But actually, he can be. He, he was. He was. We just didn't show you that. We, and we, right? Yeah. This is the footage you didn't see of him doing the thing that Superman does, which is like saving people and talking to children kindly. And, and looking into the middle distance eerily. Yeah. All, so, the, so. all the stuff you want him to do. Like, there is a, there is an absolute delight in that. And as, as a reassuring thing to an audience, going, look, no, no, it's we fixed it. We finished it. Yeah. Except that he's got the haunting jelly lip face. Yes, well, that's it, because they had to. Cavill had his mustache. Had his mustache. So to CGI out his mustache, you end up with this uncanny valley mouth, which means you spend the whole time looking at him going, what's, what's wrong with your face? This, but it's like a kind of smile that makes him seem really angry. Sinister. And really scary. Yeah. I, I remember reading an account from an, uh, an actor who I think was famous enough to be writing about themselves and mm-hmm. something. They had a, a filling or dental surgery done, and the dentist snipped the 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 little string. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. On, the, between in, your, under your lip, yeah. under your upper lip, yeah. And the dentist didn't know he was an actor, and said, "Oh yeah, I'll just make your face look different." And he went, "I'm an actor." And the dentist flipped out and did a whole thing. You can't sue me because of this and that. But the oh, guy, God. The, the guy's such a taciturn character. He was like, "That didn't even really occurred to me to sue him." I was just <laughs> asking, like, "Oh, okay." Yeah. How different? But it gave him a kind of slight sneer. Um, and he said he got a bunch of good villain parts because <laughs> his face was now just naturally a little more sinister. There you go. And he said, no, I don't really care, to be honest. It would have been fine either way. Do you not find people's resting faces fascinating, by the yeah, way? Yeah, yeah, I have yeah. A, I have a friend and she's she's the most wonderful, compassionate, caring, generous human being. But her face rests angry. Yeah. I used to make hairdressers nervous as a, as a kid. <laughs> I used to make hairdressers nervous. Because I'd be sitting there with a resting face I'd be thinking about that's I would, an Uncle Monty kind of phrase. I used to make hairdressers you, nervous. The hairdressers were nervous around me. <laughs> <laughs> but I was sitting there as they were cutting my hair. I was completely. I wasn't even in my own body. You know, I was just thinking about something else. I was a terrible daydreamer. But my face would be one of sort of bristling fury, <laughs> and they'd keep stopping and going, "Is that is that all right?" And I go, "Hmm." Yeah, yeah, fine, whatever. Haircut. Haircut time. And they go, okay. And they go back to it and be like, this man is so angry with this haircut. We're watching, my, my wife and I are watching uh, Fringe at the moment, which isn't yeah. a great show, but I'm told it gets better. Yeah. Um, but I, I, it seems like I don't like the politics of the guys who created the show, particularly because yeah. those are the guys who wrote um, Amazing Spider-Man 2, which is the one where, <laughs> oh, where Spider-Man is a dick to everyone all the time but no. they present it like it's a way of being awesome yes Ima- imagine if um, 
Imagine if your greatest hero existed as if he was still quite a bitter, <laughs> angry most, person. It's the most extraordinary take on on the most relatable and most most human and identifying and compassionate of the city. To make him somebody who says, oh man, my blood would save your life maybe, huh? Yeah, I don't know if I want to give you that though. Yeah. No, this is this is not a good anyway. Yeah. Dick, dickish Spider Man is a is an appalling take. Anyway, but we're watching Fringe, and the lead actress is quite good, and she's it's it's network television, so she's pretty in the network television. So, and sure. I get confused by the six different white men who walk around in the in various episodes because they all look the same with their dark hair and their their beautiful cheekbones, lantern and their, jaw, right? They all they all have that network TV aesthetic. Yeah, to mad them. mad men. The six madmen. The six madmen. But she, but the lead actress. As soon as my wife pointed out, I I she quit watching it the first time because she couldn't stand the resting face of the actress. Yeah. There's a thing she does with her face, and it turns out I'm not sure it's a thing she does. It's a thing she doesn't. Is that she looks angry at yeah. everything? Yeah. So she'll be at a funeral with a scowl, looking at the coffin. You go and I, and so we've started watching it where one of us will say. I hate that corpse. <laughs> I'm glad you did. And then she'll be standing on the street thinking, and you go, I fucking hate that taxi. <laughs> because it's just how her face seems to land. It's natural, like, like the eyebrows moving a little closer. Oh, so the, the mouth, mouth kind of narrows. And you See, I, I have always found unnerving and, and seemed like intense fury. There's a type of person who, when they widen their eyes to be sincere, yeah. there is white around their irises. So when you draw eyes, uh, one of the first things you learn is you never see the whole iris. Yeah. Top or bottom, there's it's shaded somehow. Yeah. If you see the whole eye, that's like almost someone doing this, pulling their eyes open, or pure terror. But there is a type of eye. There's a type of person who, half the time, when they just go, "Oh, that would be great," it's just blah, and you can see their whole iris, and it's (laughs) it's too intense, so unnerving and intense. (laughs) And Skylar, Skylar White in Breaking Bad has those eyes. And it's this whole thing. Like, I call them laser eyes. <laughs> and a few people um, are unfortunate or fortunate enough to have laser eyes. And it's just something that... It's not even that I get annoyed by it. It's that it's so distracting. And it's so not necessarily what's right. meant. Yeah. Because they could be saying like, Oh, I'd love to meet your newborn. Yeah. But it's like... Oh, like a laser zero. <laughs> like, I'd love to meet your newborn so I can eat its fucking head. Because I have these intense laser pixie eyes. It's... I just can't Ugh! because I used to you know draw caricatures and faces and mm-hmm. stuff anything like that can throw you off if you start looking at someone in terms of like what shape is their head or <laughs> little things like that and some people like when you realize that it, this is an internet meme now but Tom Cruise has one middle tooth what you've not seen this no I have not seen this he's had dental surgery uh-huh. and his teeth are if you draw a line straight down his face like symmetry yes it goes but through one tooth oh my slightly. god and once you've seen it you oh, can that's never... going to ruin my life no don't get it up I'm going to go I'll look for it because I, I had a I have I have a, I must have a middle tooth on my lower lip because yes. I had one removed that was growing up the back that, so now yeah. I've got a set of three at the front oh, rather yeah. than four I might have to do that I've got but, oh, you've got an outward... Oh, I've got this fang up here we're pointing at teeth yeah sorry this it's is great teeth, for a podcast this is the teeth pointing podcast <laughs> So Andrew, you you your request is you'd like to have a chat to Marjorie as well. I think Marjorie could be a spectacularly interesting film critic. I yeah. think she's got. I think I think she'd have a take on the movies that is rarely heard. Yeah. Um, she comes from a very particular world. Yes. Which don't you know you don't hear from very often. Yes. 
the world, sort of a hell world, some sort of alternate dimension. <laughs> um, <laughs> let's let's make it happen. Oh, hello. Here she comes. There we go. It's also like this. Hello. Yes. So, um, I understand that you have some questions about uh, what what would you like to talk about? I, I I believe you went and saw Justice League, the Batman. Yeah. Yes, I went to the Odeon and I bought my tickets and I got a discount and I bought, um, there's a little shelf, uh, they've got little pods with sweets in and they're like, if you see fudge, it's like fudge you'd get elsewhere but worse <laughs> and it costs more and I bought, um, the cubes of fudge and the strings, the red strings. It's about the cinema so yes. we could move it, so you, you, you yes, and went up the stairs. I went inside. To- and it's uh, uh, it smells of a primary school, um, and I went in and I watched the Justice the Justice uh, League. Uh, and are there, are there are there do you know superheroes? Are you familiar with? Not superheroes? personally, no. But I I'm aware of the Superman, and there's um, Claw Man, um, who, who can't die. So there's not he's fun because you know he'll never go away. That's the Claw Man never goes away. This is one of the catchphrases. From the, my, my childhood. And there's Claw Man, there's Mr. Laser Eyes, there's the Flying Man, um, Frog, Frog Boy is bad because he's, he's ugly and fat, and that's why he's bad. And then there's the ones in, in Justice League, yes, Superman, and there's lots of Batmen. I, they seem to take turns, um, but then it makes sense because their house is very big. So it makes sense that they could all live in there at the same time. Sorry, is it that you you think that Christian Bale and Ben Affleck and all the other Batmen are all sharing the house? Yes, the Batmen. Because it makes sense because no one could take the the, the strain. And they have such different Batman styles that it's like MasterChef. And they all have a go. George Clooney's wing of the house. And Adam West's... (laughs) And Christian Bale comes back and they say, that was a very violent Batman you did. Why couldn't you have been more reasonable and, br- and less brooding? Also, where have you been? And then he says, I was in a, a nameless Arab hole being back surgery having done to me by a man with no equipment. And they say, well, that you should have called. You have more than enough gadgets. He would have overseas health coverage. When you think, yeah, fair enough. Yes, and so there's um, this one of the Batmen, who is the sort of the one with the biggest chin. Mm-hmm. So he's in charge probably. Um, and there's Superman. This one of the Batmen. There's Wonder Lady, and she's from, and it's an isle. She's from Lesbos. Um, <laughs> there's the. Gr- <laughs> And then there's Captain Birdseye. <laughs> but he's really... <laughs> Captain Birdseye! <laughs> this is unusable. <laughs> there's Captain Birdseye. <laughs> Captain Birdseye with his very large fork. Yes, Captain with fork for fish fingers. And he's, but he's Captain Birdseye, but they've made him sexy for millennials. 
Is Captain Birdseye in his in his youth? Do you consider that a betrayal of the original character? Or? I, I'm just. It's it is understandable because when you remake long-standing characters, they become problematic because of the old version. And in the modern era, there's no appetite for Captain Birdseye with this traditional uh, context of a sh- a, an, an enormous ship staffed entirely by children. <laughs> That for some reason seems to provide peas, even though <laughs> those are famously from the land. And there's, so there's the Superman, there's there's Chin Batman, Big Chin Batman, Wonder Lady, Captain Birdseye, um, uh, Sad Fast, sa- Fast Guy, Fast it? Man, Fast Nerd. He's Broadband. Is his name. Broadband. And all his jokes are about broadband. And he says, "Oh, I like pizza because I like computers." And which makes sense. And then there's um, Sadbot. <laughs> and he's sad because he's a he's good um, before he was a teenager who wanted to play football and was somehow good at science as well, even though that's two things they're not possible. And now he's an alien robot and that's made him sad for some reason. He doesn't want godlike powers. He wanted to run fast. Even though he can run much faster now. And do you enjoy? Are you are you someone who enjoys the action sequences, or are you are you into the the you know group drama of them? I like it when you find out a bit about where they're from, but not enough to know anything about where they're from. So when you met Captain Birdseye, he went home for a few minutes to pick up some things for his adventure, and he went home and he met, I think, the Queen of the Fish, Fish Queen, and then I think it was his sister. But it was, but maybe a girlfriend. Girlfriend, I didn't know. But it was older lady was the queen, and a younger, but still a queen style lady who said, "Oh, where have you been, Captain Birdseye?" And he said, "I have to go now." And then you know, that was it. So I know that the, he knows them. <laughs> so it's mysterious, isn't it? When they say, "Oh, he's got maybe a sister, and a wife, and a mum," but maybe not. You'll never, <laughs> you'll never find out. And finally, I just wondered whether you considered the, the nature of authorship in cinema, given that the film has a director and then a reshoot director, there was yes. also a screenwriter, and these obviously very heavily produced films. So I imagine you thought long and hard about the sort of deeper questions about the nature of authorship in modern cinema. But who owns the Superman? Who, who has well, the credit for what he does? Yeah. Yes. Um, I think that it was amazing to me that they could have... I didn't know that you could get cameras that could survive that kind of impact and things. And I don't know. I think the real credit uh, belongs to um, whoever got filming permission for um, Lesbos and got them to let them into all the secret areas and things. Because that's the location man, isn't it? Is most impressive. And they said we've. They must have. They said we found a big nuclear dome in Russia that we could put them all in. Which must have been very difficult to find. I mean, I feel like I'm going to. I'm, I'm very frightened about what, I'm, what what this will do to you. But they don't actually go to all of these places and film these things. They didn't actually go underwater. They 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 don't. But it they, was. But it was in the film. Oh God. Um, he, the, the actor can't fly. The actor playing Superman can't literally fly. Yes, but Superman can fly. Oh god, I've broken out. <laughs> it, it, <laughs> I know if an actor is playing Superman, he can't fly. That would be silly. But Superman can fly. 
and sometimes one of the Batman can fly. It just depends. And this Batman, I didn't like because his main gadget was a big crab <coughs> that he could make slowly climb walls, and he only used it once, and then that was it. And the rest of the time he spent doing HR. And that seemed very dull. Organising people rather than... Yes. Right, yeah. And he didn't seem to mind that all of Captain Birdseye's Icelandic friends knew that he was Batman. And he could walk around saying, I'm Batman, where's Captain Birdseye? Tell me now. (laughs) Enough! (laughs) Enough! Oh my God! (laughs) Thank you for downloading the podcast. Please subscribe and rate us on iTunes. Tell your friends. See you next week. I am a fucking robot.